0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, December the 27th, 2022. It is currently 7.15 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready? I mean, are you actually ready? Now, if you missed the last live broadcast, wow, you missed it. It it was crazy. And I think it was just the, I think we just scratched the surface and how crazy it's about to get, how we were, we kept building this illustration because it was so windy here in Abilene, Texas, how windy it is, how stormy it's about to get because, well, that fit perfectly with the text. So, so we kind of really built that illustration. I'm not going to go with that. I just hope you're ready. I hope you have something to write with. You've got a Bible, something to drink. I hope you're ready to sit back and enjoy Sermon review time on this Tuesday evening as a part of our Bible study exercise podcast series. Now, what what we are doing is we're reviewing a sermon that really, I don't know where to put this sermon review. Like, it really fits in with our teaching on understanding law and gospel. It fits perfectly right there. But it's supposed to, in theory, and I'm using air quotes, in theory, it is supposed to fit in with the Bible study exercise, because as everyone knows, I know there, there'll, there'll be some new listeners, but for the Bible study exercise, what have we been doing class for the last, what, four or five weeks? We've been working on a study on the subject of fear, right? I've given you homework. There, you've You've been given the thematic method to do on the subject of fear. There's curriculum. All of that, please. I hope everyone, if you're brand new, you need to participate in all of the Bible study exercise podcast episodes. Because I think we're really trying to do something unique. We're trying to get people not to sit on the couch, but to get off the couch, get to the table with a notebook, a pencil, reference tools, and actually dig into studying the Bible yourself. We do the episodes where I do some teaching, I give you homework assignments that you turn in, and we really try to get you involved. So we've been working on the subject of fear. I say all of that to be working on the subject of fear. And we've worked through a number of passages of scripture Psalm 33, Romans 8. 1 John 3, 1 John 4, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2. Very specific passages of Scripture, and I've tried to go through each one of these, try to give you things to look at, and try to hopefully spark a good conversation, not only about the subject of fear, but those specific passages of Scripture. And this week, I opened up the curriculum, and what did I see? This week, in our study of fear, we were to consider Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. This is where Jesus sends the disciples on. They get in a boat. They start sailing. Jesus goes up, prays for them. Then they get find themselves in the middle of a storm and Jesus comes walking on the sea. They're, they, they're scared to death. They're thinking, it's a spirit. And Peter's like, if it's really you, Lord, then he hops out of the boat, starts walking to Jesus, sees the storm sinks. Lord, save me. Uh, Jesus saves him, they get in the boat, and then then they worship him. I know that's like the cliff notes of the cliff notes, but that's the basic context of the story. We've read it now a couple of times. And I said that, that this passage concerns me because the way of so how so many churches and pastors handle this story, they really, they make it about us. The storms are the troubles in our life. Jesus can walk on them. And we, in a sense, can walk on the storm. We can walk through the storms of our life. We can, in a sense, walk on top of our troubles and the storms in our life if we look to Jesus. But if we don't look to Jesus, we sink. And it really just turns the whole story into an allegory instead of a historical narrative. And so I've challenged that 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 kind of hypothesis and I try to get you thinking about it. And I said one of the things we would do is I would grab one of my apps and just do a random search for sermons on Matthew chapter 14. And I did about 3 a.m this morning. And the first one I found I started listening to and immediately I was like, wait, what? So Because I heard all of this stuff that relates to our ongoing subject about law and gospel, especially this discussion we had on Sunday about justification and sanctification. So I was like, okay, uh, this is interesting, but it's supposed to be about Matthew 14. And I'm like, you know what? Because what I do for sermon reviews is I don't listen to them all. I I, I was hoping I was going to hear something about Matthew 14, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to use it. It's the first one I found. So we started reviewing it. We spent over an hour in a sermon review, and it was baffling and confusing. First, we made it, uh, what, almost 10 minutes in, no mention of Matthew 14 yet, but what we got was another outstanding example, another beautiful example of classic Christian doublespeak, of classic Christian... Just saying things that completely contradict one another, all within a a span of a few seconds or a few minutes. If we would need a chart to try to figure this out, but it goes something like this. And again, I'm paraphrasing. You should go back and listen, but I'm paraphrasing. It goes something like this. Here we go. If you're a Christian, you've been set free from sin. However, you can still be a slave to sin. But You're only a slave to sin because you volunteered to be a slave to sin and you can stop any time. How do we know we can stop? Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says you were these things, but now you are different. So in reality, you, you're not a Christian if you're still doing these things because, well, the first Corinthians says you were that, but now you're different. So you shouldn't be doing these things. However, you can still be a Christian and actually be enslaved to these sins. The first Corinthians says you were that, but now you're not. You can actually be enslaved to it. So really, first Corinthians six just means you can stop doing it whenever you want. But you don't have to be doing it because you've been set free. But yet you will still sin. Oh, wait, we also throw in it. You can't be perfect and you can't be sinless. So you, you volu- I guess you, in a sense, you can volunteer to be a slave to sin, but you, you can stop being a slave to sin, but you can't ultimately stop sinning, but you're actually free from sin. Oh, throw in. God actually gives you the power to stop sinning, but the power is not good enough to get you to sinless perfection. So you're free but not free, you have power but not complete power. You can be a slave to sin but but that's only a, a, on a voluntary basis. You can stop it whenever you want. However, you can't ultimately stop sinning. So I guess you can only volunteer for enslavement to specific sins, but you can't volunteer to no longer be a sinner at all. I don't know. It and I and I'm I'm just throwing that out there and I know you're like I can't even follow that because I can't even follow it. They say one thing, seem to contradict it, so, and nobody ever bothers to raise their hand going, I'm confused by all of this. Now, what I'm really baffled by is what any of this has to do with Matthew 14. I am really scared what they're about to do with Matthew 14. So tonight, we're going to try to find out. So are you ready? I hope that got you caught up on everything that's going on here. We go. We're we just going to jump into this. I always say when we when we get to a part two or a part three or a part four of a sermon review, there's never an easy way to ease back into it. So we're just gonna walk right up to the edge of the pool and jump in. Basically, what he's he's now going through this kind of double speak that you're set free, but you're in bondage, but you're not really in bondage because you vol you volunteered to be in that bondage. You can get out of that bondage because of 1 Corinthians 6. And then of course he completely obliterates the actual. I, I don't know what he does to 1 Corinthians 6, but here we go. We're right in the middle of that, and, well, you'll see how this plays out.
1: It really is enslavement. But on the other hand, it's not total enslavement. It's not absolute enslavement. People in the world will take this enslavement idea and go to the, to the extremes of saying it's, it's total lifetime enslavement. If you go to AA or any of the 12-step groups, including the Christianized version, which is uh, Celebrate Recovery, the very first principle uh, in the 12 steps, the first, first step is admit you are totally powerless over your addiction. Totally powerless. Um, they say it's a disease you will have until you die, and you'll never get, you can be an alcoholic, you can go 20 years without taking a sip, and you're still just as much an alcoholic as any other time. You can never break free. Um, best you can hope for is to just mitigate the behavior to some degree to where it doesn't foul up your life. The problem with that is that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he talked about all kinds of enslaving, enslaving sins, sexual sins, and <clears throat> drunkenness, and all these these enslaving sins. And in First Corinthians six eleven, said,
0: "And that is what some of you were." Were now. This is this is where this just it's like the train leaves the tracks and we go off into la la land. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, because I'm just baffled and confused in how he does this. So here's what he's saying. These other addiction programs tell you you are powerless over it and you're always going to be a slave to that addiction. All right. You may stop doing it, but you're always going to be an alcoholic. You're always going to be addicted to whatever. And he's like, that's not true because our, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you used to commit these sins, but that's what you were, past tense, were. You're no longer that. Now, let's read 1 Corinthians 6. I covered this last time, but this—I I, we've got I could probably do a live broadcast every hour on the hour for six months just trying to get people to understand how that this passage has been so mishandled and probably their church, probably even in my church in the past, but it, it's just, it drives me crazy. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. So let's, let's establish how this, let's put it in its full context. He just makes reference to it. Let's actually read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let's stop right here. There's your first hermeneutical clue, right? There's the hermeneutical key. Unrighteousness cannot go to heaven. Now, immediately, you should stop and go, well, what is unrighteousness? Well, unrighteousness would be anything, anything that is not in perfect conformity to God's perfect righteousness. In other words, unrighteousness is any lack of conformity to God's perfect holiness. Any kind of sin is unrighteousness. Any failure to obey God's law perfectly, personally, personally, exactly, entirely, and perpetually, and internally is unrighteousness. So anyone who reads, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then nobody goes. Nobody, because every person is a sinner. Every person is a sinner. Therefore, we're all going to go to hell. So immediately, we have to realize, wait a minute. So the only hope here can't be a practical righteousness. It can't be my practical obedience. This has to be referenced to uh, to an alien righteousness or uh, as Luther referred to it, an alien righteousness or what we would say imputed righteousness. In other words, I need a perfect righteousness. If unrighteousness will not get into the kingdom of God, then I need perfect righteousness. And that perfect righteousness will be, never be manifested in my life, your life, or any life because we sin all the time in some way, in some way, shape, or form. So we need an imputed righteousness. So immediately there's my hermeneutical clue. All right, right. You're absolutely right that uh, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Great. Anyone who doesn't have imputed righteousness doesn't get in because... His standard would be perfect, and the only righteousness that can meet that standard is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Be not deceived. Now he starts naming some of the sins just to show us. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. All right, that's sexual immorality in general. Specifically, some will apply it to premarital sex. But remember, this is sexual immorality, not just in action, in thought, in desire. It can be internal. Oh, well, you're going to start wiping out, well, pretty much the, the half of the planet, all right? Um, nor idolaters. Okay, well, idolatry is not just the building of a, of a, of a statue and, uh, and kneeling down before it. It's not just building an idol of, of silver or wood. No, idolatry is in the heart where we put other things before God. And an idol can be anything, your family, your career, even yourself. Well, guess what? Everyone's guilty of idolatry in some way, shape, or form. We constantly put things before God. Uh, let's go on. Adulterers. Again, that's not just physical adultery. That can be adultery in the mind and the heart. We all, people have been guilty of that in all kinds of different ways. Nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous. Any covetousness, not, 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 that can be internal. Nor drunkenness, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Shall, uh, none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what we what we immediately try to do is say, okay, okay, look, if you're a Christian, you can't do these things or you can't live in these things because if you live in these things, you can't get to heaven. No, no, no. The text isn't. Hey, if you just stop doing these things, you get into heaven. The text is no one unrighteous gets in. So, we're, so what we have a tendency to do is somehow rip this verse out of any philological understanding and say, no, no, no. See, if you are living in adultery or living in fornication, you can't go to heaven because no one like that can go to heaven. Wait a minute. The text says no one who is unrighteous. There's plenty of people who've never committed adultery, never committed fornication, but guess what? They're still unrighteous because they have 475 other sins. So then everyone reads the next part. And such were some of you. Now, what this typically teaches is the way the church teaches this, as is that classic Christian doublespeak. Hey, see, that's what you were. You can't be that now. And then this is the the famous way Christians try to get around this. You can't be that now. I mean, you could commit the act, but you won't continually say, I mean, you could, you could commit the act for a while, but you will ultimately stop. Well, okay, well then take that to its logical conclusion. If, if, I'm, if I could commit one of these sins and ultimately stop, then I could ultimately stop all sin. So then why you, don't you say that we can just be sinless? But again, the text doesn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I stop this, I get into heaven. No, it demands righteousness. So then how do we understand, and such were some of you? Well, the, the text gives you the clue. It's already giving you the first clue, Right. The unrighteous doesn't get in. Okay, well, that means i got to have a perfect righteousness, not a practical righteousness. And then look here and look carefully at the text. And such were some of you, but you are washed. Completed, final act. It's been done. How was I washed? By what I do? By me not committing these sins? Is washing here means washing me so that I never commit these sins? It means that I'm washed from any guilt of any of these sins. Right, And I'm washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All of my sins are forgiven. And then notice this. Washed. Like completed act. Past tense. Sanctified. Now, this is not referring to the ongoing process of sanctification practically. This is that completed sanctification that occurs in salvation. In salvation, I am completely set apart from God. And guess what? I'm declared to be holy. I'm declared to be righteous. I'm declared to be perfect in my position because of an imputed righteousness. Goes on, but you are justified. Well, yeah, I am. What not? I am not justified. Listen, I am not justified. In this, well, in any context, I am not justified by me not doing those sins. My justification is because I have imputed righteousness. Unless you're going to claim that justification is a result of infused righteousness and then therefore it must manifest itself by not doing these things or I never was saved. No, 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 no. I am saved by an imputed righteousness. So in my position, guess what? I am never. No matter what acts I commit, I am never those things in my position because I'm covered in an imputed righteousness. Now, what he does is this weird thing. And I'll try to explain what he's doing here. Hey, the world and all of these other addiction programs, they say you're always going to be like this. But no, no, no. The true Christian addiction program is you are no longer like that. You've been changed. But he's going to immediately turn around and say, you have been changed. You were that. However, you can still be that. You can still be enslaved to sin. You were that, but you can still be enslaved to sin. So what, how he, how he actually interprets 1 Corinthians 6 is this. You were that, you're no, no, no longer that. So as a result that you're no longer that, how he interprets that is to mean you no longer have to commit any sin because you've been completely set free from sin. So now if you commit a sin, it's because you're simply volunteering to do so. And well, by logical implication, you can just easily volunteer to stop. And if that is true, then sinless perfection is possible and probable. But it's weird. He's like, you were these things. And then he's going to turn around and say, but, but, but you, well, you can actually still be in bondage to it, but you're only in bondage because you volunteer so you can stop whenever you want. (laughs) The text doesn't say you were these things. And, and and now you have the freedom to stop these things. No, it's saying that you were these things and you've been changed because of the work of God. This is this is a reference to the imputed righteousness. He's ignoring imputed righteousness here and he's turning this all into practical actions. All right, now let's continue.
1: Past tense. But you were washed and you were sanctified and he's the, the, the implication is now you are no longer. These things, it's possible to have an enslaving sin and then... Come to a point where it's in the past.
0: See how he he changes that? You could have an enslaving sin, and then you can come to a point where it's in the past. Now, either you have to interpret that meaning you were enslaved, but the minute you become saved, it's in the past. But he doesn't mean that. He means that you can become saved, live in an enslaved sin, but come to a point where you can stop. And now it's in the past because of 1 Corinthians 6. It's just... Wait a minute, what are you, he, he's completely ignoring the imputed righteousness with the, the only way to answer 1 Corinthians 6, because the unrighteous does not get into the kingdom of God. Well, no one is righteous, so I, I, it's just bizarre.
1: It's in the past. That's our hope. Through Christ, we can break free from the bonds of enslaving
0: sin. It can be done. Right now, again, just logically take us to conclusion. If in Christ, I can break free from the bondage of sins, then logically you're saying I can stop sinning perfectly. But he's already seemed to clearly imply that we can't stop sinning perfectly. So can I, look, if I'm free, I can stop sinning and be 100% perfect. If I can't be perfect, then I'm still enslaved to sin because it keeps me from perfection. So either I'm free or not free. It's this, you are but you aren't concept.
1: It can be done. And this class is all about how to do that. Now, um, let's talk about a definition. There's a lot of uh, debate in the psychological world about the definition of addiction. The world has a really t- hard time defining it because the trend these days in the world is to try to define everything in terms of physiological, physical chemicals, and all that kind of stuff. And that, that doesn't work because um, they can define some addictions that way, and then it doesn't, other addictions, they don't, they don't function the same way. Alcohol, there's chemicals, gambling, you're not putting any chemicals in your body. And so it's, it, 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 they have a hard time finding a, a definition that works for all of them. Um, I'm not going to go through all the debate about all the technical definitions. I'll just give you what I think is the biblical definition. And that is, if we use the biblical terminology, it's not that hard. If we use the term enslavement, then it's pretty obvious what the definition is. How do you know if you're enslaved by a sin? Well, very simple. An enslaving sin is this. Here's the definition. It's when when a person
0: keeps deciding to
1: do something that he wishes he wouldn't.
0: Okay, so an enslaving sin is whenever you do something that you wish you wouldn't. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. So Paul was enslaved to sin. See, he's talking, he wants to just reduce this to a specific sin. Like here I have this bottle of water, right? And this is the sin. And I keep, I can't, oh, I don't want to, I don't. Oh, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. And he's saying that there comes a point, I can just put the water down and never drink it again that I can have victory over it. But wait a minute. If enslavement to sin is defined as the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do, well, then that's the entire Christian life from conversion to glorification because we constantly as Christians don't want to sin, but we sin Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'll give you three scriptures. You know what I'm going to say. This is like a broken record at this point love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You've never done it. You never will do it. You want to do it, but you never even come close to doing it the correct way. Well, that means you're living as, that means you're enslaved to sin. Love your neighbor as yourself. You may want to love your neighbor. Sometimes you may even think you're loving your neighbor. Sometimes you're loving your neighbor when really you're simply loving yourself, but you get the point. We fall short. And if you still aren't convinced, you have in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this wonderful command, be ye holy as God is holy. You have never, will. you have never Come to that, close to that. You never will come to close to that. Meaning, no matter how much you want to be holy as God is holy, you're never going to be. So that means you live in a perpetual state of sin. So according to His definition, you want to stop sinning, but you're going to keep sinning. Meaning, you're enslaved to sin. But He's already told us that we've been set free from sin. But by His own definition of of, of enslavement to sin, we're all enslaved to it. So he's told us we're free, and then he gives us a definition that proves we're all slaves.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I just think it's that simple. When you keep deciding you do something that you wish you wouldn't. Now, that can, apl- that can apply to heroin, that can apply to biting your fingernails. Um, it's when you're hooked. And I get that from Galatians 5.17. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, spirit desires, but is contrary to the flesh. In fact, go ahead and open your Bible. If, uh, hopefully you have your Bible. Uh, bring your Bibles to these sessions because we'll be using them. And and I'd like you to see this for, for yourself. So, so go ahead and open to Galatians 5. We'll be in Galatians 5 a fair amount tonight. So Galatians 5...
0: That makes me nervous because the only reason we're doing this sermon review for the Bible study exercise is it's supposed to be Matthew 14. that's literally the text that's listed. They don't even have Galatians in the show notes in the in the under the Sermon for Scriptures, Galatians doesn't even appear. it's Mark and it's Matthew, and it's the same account of Jesus walking on the storm, walking on the water, I should say, walking on the water through the storm. is that better, okay? So um, so I'm now baffled that he just said we're going to be in Galatians, okay? So I, uh, this all could go horribly wrong, uh, but we will see, we will see, all right? So it's just an, so we're free, but what is called uh, being enslaved to a sin is when you don't want to do it and you do it. But that is the literal de- definition of the entire Christian life where we don't want to sin, but we sin continually. So I don't know, then we're, are we free or not free? Christians have a weird concept of freedom. I really, it really, it really is.
1: Verse 17, it's talking about this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. It says, your flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want.
0: Now that's the Christian life. The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And that means, guess what? The flesh is not eradicated in salvation. The flesh remains. The conflict remains throughout your entire Christian life, and it will not cease until glorification. Your theology has to account for that. Depravity continues in you until glorification.
1: Okay? You do not do what you want. That's that's where I get my definition for addiction or enslaving sin. This is Galatians 5.17. You don't do what you want because of this war that's going on inside you. You've got a behavior you don't, you, that you want to quit, you want to change, and you attempt to do so, and it doesn't work. You're enslaved. Um, and... Um, and so it's any behavior that you're. if you try to quit it, you're likely to fail. Now, let me explain the purpose of this class, what we're going to try and do in this class. Um, if five different people came up to me and they all had the exact same addiction, say it's alcohol, they're all hooked on alcohol, they're all getting drunk, and, and, and five people come to me for counsel, I would not counsel them the same. Probably not even any two of them would, be, would get the same counsel. Every person is different every uh, kind of enslavement is different. Um, you, you can have two different guys, both hooked on alcohol, both getting, they both get drunk, say, four times a week, but for very different reasons. Um, they have different appetites of the soul. They have different life circumstances. They have different backgrounds, very different motivations for why they get drunk. Um, they have different idols in their hearts that need to be dealt with in different ways. And so there's not a one-size-fits-all counsel for enslaving sins or addictions. But on the other hand, there are some principles that do apply across the board, the same for everyone, uh, no matter what your situation is and no matter what it is that you're hooked on. So if I counsel someone with an eating disorder um, and someone else is a compulsive gambler, I might give some very different counsel to those two people, but but the first several sessions of the counseling are going to be exactly the same. It's going to be the material in this class. The purpose of this class is not to give you all the counsel that you're going to need for overcoming an enslaving sin. The purpose of this class is to give you the basic, fundamental, foundational principles that you're going to need to overcome any enslaving sin.
0: Now, what I'm baffled by is why is there a counseling process? If you're saved... You have told us now, you've spent 13 minutes telling us that you're free and that you're simply volunteering for it. And all you have to do, so wouldn't you just say, wake up, stop volunteering for that sin. Just stop it. You have the power to do so. You're free. You're not in bondage to it. You can stop anytime you want. But now he's saying, okay, now, okay, now what we have to do is we have to go through a long counseling process. We have to go through, wait a minute, why? Hey, do you realize you're volunteering for a sin? Yeah, do you realize that a sin? Yeah, how come you don't want to stop? I don't know. Well, you need to stop because it's a sin. Well, I know it's a sin, but I don't want to stop. Why? Well, because I'm addicted to it. Well, you can't be addicted to it because you're a Christian. You're volunteering to do it. You can't be addicted to it. But he's saying that it's that you're enslaved to it. That it's, hey, on one hand, he's saying it's real enslavement. On the other hand, he's saying you're free because that's what you used to be. But now you are completely different and you can stop at any point. So can I stop at any point or do I have to go through counseling so that I can figure out why I'm not really free? Like, I, what, I don't understand. Hey, you, this is real slavery and you need counseling but you're free and you're and the only reason you're committing this act is because you're volunteering but you can stop whenever you want oh and and god will give you power to do so as well but but do you need counseling it sounds like if we need counseling and we need all of these and there's not there's not just a program but we need certain steps sounds like that i don't know It sounds like that we're just like the people in the world who are addicted who need programs and steps and counseling, right? Doesn't it? Isn't it weird that Christians would have to go through a similar process as lost people? That seems kind of odd considering how we sell Christianity, isn't it?
1: That apply the same across the board uh, to any kind of enslaving sin. So you can think of this class as being like the first – Five or six sessions of a counseling uh, case. By the end of this class, if you're struggling with an enslaving sin, by the end of this class, if you're serious about doing the exercises uh, that I'm going to assign each t- each t- each week, you can expect to make tremendous progress in just five or six weeks.
0: All right. So you got to do the exercises. So now this. So now this can't be a. See, he sold it as hey. You've been set free. You're just volunteering. Now we need exercises so that we can see improvement. Man, I, this is kind of interesting. I, 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 thought, I thought that we were that, but now we've been washed. We've now been sanctified. We've now been justified. We can just stop. Well, I mean, no, I mean, you can't just stop. You're going to have to go through a counseling process, and we're going to have, to have five or six sessions. And if you'll do the exercises, then you can kind of, you can see some improvement. I wonder if these exercises are anything similar to the world's exercises in overcoming some kind of addiction. I, I wonder. But what I'm still baffled by, where is Matthew 14 in any of this, right? Because that's the text that's literally listed under this sermon. If he doesn't get to Matthew 14, I'm going to... I'm just going to scream. I'm, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna once again have evidence that I probably should listen to the sermons I review, but I refuse to do that because I don't want this to be rehearsed. I like it to be real time reaction and trying to understand what we're hearing.
1: Tremendous progress towards
0: freedom. Many of you, you can make progress towards freedom, even though we've already been told we're free. <laughs> hey, as a Christian, you're free. But here's the steps you need to take so that you can get to freedom, but, but you're actually free. I mean, you're not really free because you're going to still sin, but, but you can – okay, you, you get it. Six
1: weeks from now, we'll have greater freedom, considerably greater freedom in this area where you struggle than you've had for years and years, just, just five or six weeks. But that's not going to be the end of the process for you. In order to have lasting victory, you're going to have to get some individualized help. Most likely, now some people are exceptions to this, but most likely you'll you'll still need some individualized help. And we'll and so what we'll do is we'll talk about the general principles in this setting, in a group setting. Uh, and, but after that, you're going to need a mentor uh, who will help you apply these principles in your specific.
0: So you need counseling. You need a mentor. Hmm. You need a. Bon- a mentor sponsor, mentor sponsor, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it kind of starting to feel that way. Go through some group sessions, get some principles, have your sponsor for accountability. But hey, you're free and you have divine power.
1: Situation and help you overcome. Uh, the, the unique obstacles that you face in your particular particular life and situation that that are different from what other people are facing because you got your own unique stuff. So so please don't think of this class as the entire process. It's not. It's just the first portion of the process. All right. So so let's just jump right in. Let me let me give you the uh, causes of addiction. What causes an enslaving sin? I would say three things. I think there's three basic things that cause enslaving sin. When somebody gets addicted to something, whether it be a behavior or a substance, it's because that person lacks three things. They're missing three things.
0: All right, so the cause of enslaving sin is because we're missing three things. Do I dare throw a counter perspective? The reason we're enslaved to sin is because we're enslaved to sin. <laughs> like, it's not that I'm missing something. It's that I already have something. It's called depravity. See, I'm already enslaved to sin in general because I can never stop sinning until glorification. And because of I'm already enslaved to sin in general, that general enslavement to sin manifests itself in maybe direct or particular enslavement to certain sins. It's not that I lack something, it's that I already have something. It's the idea, I don't become an enslaved... I'm not enslaved to sin because I'm missing out on something. I'm enslaved to sin because I'm already a sinner. I was born a sinner. I have a sinful nature. I can never stop sinning. I will sin until the day of my glorification. He's starting with the premise that you're missing something. And that if you... uh, he's got to me- he's got to mention that one of the re- that one of the reasons we're enslaved to sin, or we find ourselves entangled or enslaved to certain sins, is because we're depraved. He has to mention that, right? Or is this like some weird Pelagian concept? I don't know.
1: In their line. Um, number one, power from God. Number two, fulfillment in God. And number-
0: oh my goodness, my goodness. Right, I got a pencil here. So, the reasons we're enslaved to sin. All right. Reasons we're enslaved to sin. And if anybody else would like to write these down, please do because I'm scribbling them. Number one is we lock power from God. Okay. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. So, I'm saved. And there's power. So I never have to be entangled to a sin, but I lack it. So but there's gonna, he's gonna give me the steps that I can go and get it. Now I want you to understand. <laughs> I am so confused here. So you have to go through counseling. Why do I need to go through counseling? So you've already told me I'm free from sin and I'm just volunteering to be enslaved. Now you're telling me the reason I'm enslaved is because I lack the power of God. Why do I not have the power of God? Did God is God just holding out on me? His guy's like, man, look at him. Look at that guy over there. He's in the strip club, man. He's the adult bookstore. That guy is so addicted to sex and pornography. What a mess. That guy's a train wreck. And look at this right here. I got all this power and he just doesn't want it. If he would just turn around and get this power, he could stop sinning. He could stop sinning completely. Oh, I mean, wait, 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 wait. I've got power. You can't stop sinning complete, but you can stop that sin. Now you can't stop all sin, but you can stop that. How does this power thing work? And then he says, "Lack uh, number two, a lack of fulfillment. Fulfillment in God, I believe how he said this. Let's back this up. I think he said lack of fulfillment in God. Let's listen.
1: They're missing three things in their life. Um, number one, power from God, number two, fulfillment in God, and number three, fear of God. So let's go through those.
0: Okay, fear of God, fear of God. Okay, so this is fitting for our study on fear. So this is kind of fitting in, all right? All right, so here's the thing. If you are struggling with a sin, now, I, I guess it's just a specific sin. Is it about all sin? I mean, is it only, do we only care about those specific sins? Because we're sinning all the time. I, I So I never really understand how Christians, Christians always want to focus in on one sin and not just the fact that we're sinning 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay. But ladies and gentlemen, hot off the presses. This is a breaking, where's my breaking news bulletin music? Do I have Do I have my breaking news bulletin music? Do I have it saved? Do I have it saved? I don't know if I have it saved. Oh, I don't think I have it saved. Uh, do I have my breaking new mu- uh, new new music? Uh, I don't think I do. Yeah, I don't. I, I need I need my breaking news music. Okay, but breaking news. Da, 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 I, yeah, I can't do it. Okay, right? Fox News alert, right, ladies and gentlemen. If you're struggling with sin tonight, if you've sinned today, and if you're afraid you're going to sin tomorrow. I've got some great news. Uh, the reason you are sinning at all is because you're missing three things. And if you will get these three things, I can guarantee you that come Wednesday, December what, the 28th, you can stop sinning. All you need is, ladies and gentlemen, power from God, fulfillment in God, and the fear of God, and you can stop. And I would just challenge you to look at all the times in the Bible where it says someone fears God, and then look at what they do in their life did David fear God? Did Solomon fear God? Did Moses fear God? Did Noah fear God? Did Abraham fear God? Because they all committed some pretty messed up sins. Just a thought. Just a thought. But what do I know? What do I know? What do I know? All right. So here we go. All right. This is it. You're missing three. It's just amazing. The reason I sin is because I'm missing something, not because I'm a sinner. Like, does Christian theology, has Christian theology so eradicated total depravity that we're basically all operating from basically a full-blown Pelagian to a semi-Pelagian perspective? Has has the doctrine of total depravity been so destroyed that I, I fear sometimes that even reformed people who say they believe in total depravity, they I think they believe total depravity is completely eradicated. We've listened to some reformed sermons where they basically act like that our depravity is completely eradicated in conversion which is just insane. All right, here we go.
1: Power from God. Um, you can't say no to this temptation because you just don't have the spiritual power to successfully fight against it. You're, you're lacking spiritual power. Uh, so that's one thing you're missing. Number two, fulfillment in God. Uh, the, way it, <clears throat> the way a sin enslaves you And this is true of any kind of enslaving sin. The way a sin enslaves you is by promising fulfillment to your soul, some kind of fulfillment that your soul craves. It, It promises to fulfill your craving for pleasure or for comfort or for security or for rest or relief or control, maybe, or any number of different cravings that you have. This thing that you're addicted to is promising to fulfill that. But Scripture uh, describes our relationship with God as being like a marriage, right? And and just as a wife is to look to her husband alone to fulfill all her sexual desires, uh, so we are to look to God alone to fulfill all of our cravings of our soul for comfort and pleasure and fulfillment and relief and so.
0: Okay. I love this one. Let's 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 put it really to the test because we talk a bit again. Christians love to talk a big game about so many things. We all do. We like to try to act like we're more holy, we're more godly when man, we're 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 train wrecks, if we were just even halfway honest with ourselves. But it's easy to say, I am completely fulfilled in Jesus. I am completely fulfilled in God. God is what I hunger for, God is what I thirst for, God is all I want, God is all I need. Okay, well, let's just put it to the test. Get rid of everything. I want you to get rid of everything. Every form of entertainment, every form of pleasure, every, just get rid of it all. And I want you to live your life Monday through Sunday. And all you do is you may work to earn money for your, for your up, you know, for having a house, but you don't really need anything else. You don't need any extras. You don't, and this is all you need. You need a Bible, you need a notebook, and you need a place to pray, maybe some hymns to listen to. And you spend your life basically like a monk, Living your life, worshiping and praying, worshiping and praying, going to church, studying your Bible, and that's all you do. No other forms of entertainment, no other form, because you're truly, you find all of your fulfillment only in God. That's what you hunger and thirst after. That's what you're content in. I've yet to see Christians pull that off. Now, I've seen some try. Try but they always ultimately seem to want something else and desire something else. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to want those things. I'm just saying that we have a tendency to talk that. See, if we were completely fulfilled in God, we wouldn't desire anything else. But is anyone ever truly completely fulfilled in God? It's kind of like, you know, the rich young ruler. Oh, I've kept these commands. Oh, you've kept these commands. You truly love your neighbor as yourself. You truly do. You truly love me with all your heart and my body? You really do these things? You've Okay, then go sell everything and give it to the poor and come back. And he couldn't. Because it's a big game to say that you do love God supremely. It's another thing when it's actually put to a test. It's one thing to say, my fulfillment. You can sing those praise songs. Lift your hands. I am fulfilled in you, Jesus. You're all I need. You're all I want. And then, as soon as church is over, you want this and this and this and this and this, and you're not going to come back to church Sunday night because you've got other things to do. And all of a sudden, it, it's amazing how much other stuff actually takes precedent, and you hunger and thirst after other things far more than you hunger and thirst after God,
1: security, and all the rest. Your soul is the soul. Your soul is the part of you that has appetites. Your soul will drive you, drive you to fulfill those appetites. God built you with insatiable appetites.
0: Now he's forgetting something. Hey, your soul has insatiable appetites. I've got no problem with that, but he's forgetting something. My depravity has insatiable appetites. He keeps leaving out depravity inside of us. I, I don't know what, can he mention that we're sinners by nature? That we're conceived in sin, that we are—we have a heart that's desperately wicked, that's deceitful.
1: Appetites that must be fulfilled, and and you'll be driven to fulfill them. So if they're not being fulfilled by God, you will try to fulfill them some other way. You will.
0: All right. So see if you if if you would let all your appetites be fulfilled by God, you will f- satisfy these desires in other ways. So all of your desires, he's making it seem theoretically can be fulfilled in God so that you never want anything or need anything. So you're completely content. Good luck. Good luck with that. Considering you have a sinful and depraved nature.
1: Well, you just will not be able to, you might hold off for a little while, but your soul will win and you'll, you'll cave in and, and, and run. Your soul will run hard after whatever it thinks will fulfill those,
0: please note, he says you can you can hold back and abstain, but your soul will. Ru- are you talking my? De- are you talking my depravity? Like can can he not say that it's our depraved nature that's the issue? I, I, this is weird.
1: Cravings. Whatever your soul thinks will make it happy. Whatever your soul thinks will fulfill those cravings, you'll find yourself running after that, no matter how hard you try to stop and put on the brakes. So, so people who are addicted, people who are enslaved to a sin, are lacking fulfillment in, in God in a particular area, for a particular appetite. They might have fulfillment from God in a lot of other areas for a lot of their appetites, but in, the, in one particular appetite, they're not getting that fulfilled from God. And so their soul's running after something else. Number three, fear of God. If you're engaging in some some addictive sin, it's because you're, you're not afraid to do that in God's sight, right? You're just not afraid to do that in front of God. You might be afraid to do it in front of other people. Someone else walks in the room, boom, you hide it, you know, but but you're not afraid to do it in front of God, and, uh, and so you're missing fear of God. So uh, that's... Um, that might sound kind of simplistic. In my experience, I've come up with lots of complex things that didn't help. <laughs> and, uh, and when I go back to the scriptures, these are the three things that just keep coming up. And these are the three things that I find actually help people. Um, these are the things we're missing when we get enslaved to a sin. Fear, um, fulfillment, and power. Okay?
0: So I'll see it now. All you got to do now, supposedly we're already set free. See, this is bizarre. Supposedly we're set free. Supposedly we're only volunteering for the sin, but now I'm volunteering. But the reason I'm volunteering is because I'm lacking things. So now am I really volunteering for this? Is it a voluntary thing or am I actually, because now he makes it sound like I have this insatiable appetite that will run to it. So am I volunteering Or is it my insatiable appetite driving me to it? And the reason I'm being driven to it is because I lack three things. So now I'm even, you talk about so much doublespeak. I'm free, but I have a soul that has an insatiable appetite. Now he's yet to even mention depravity. He's not even mentioned a sinful nature. He's kind of mentioned the flesh, but he didn't really explain it. But I really have these insatiable appetites that will drive me. And so if if I will rely on God's power, however I'm supposed to obtain that, if I will find fulfillment in God. And if I will fear God, I can, then I can unvolunteer from this sin. Okay. Wow. It's just... Okay. Okay. Let, let's, let's, I'm hoping he's getting ready to introduce Matthew uh, 14.
1: Um. Some of you might not be lacking all three of those. You, you might, you might be great in two of them and you're just missing one. Right? You can be doing great with fearing God, and you might have lots of power, but you're missing fulfillment. Or you've got plenty of fulfillment from God, and you've got plenty of power, but you're missing the fear or whatever. you got to have all three. In order to
0: okay, so <laughs> this only works if I have all, all three. got to have all three. So in other words, power alone is not sufficient. You got to fear, and you got to have fulfillment. So you have to have all three. So now, remember, we supposedly are set free. Remember, we were some of these things. We only are volunteering for the sin, but now I've got to go through counseling. I need a, mo- I got need a, a mentor, um, and I and I need three things. Uh, and he's yet to even acknowledge the depravity in me.
1: get victory, you're gonna have to get, you're gonna have to have all three. Uh, so if you want victory long term, so this class is just gonna be real simple how to get fear of God, how to get fulfillment from God, and how to get power from God. Then we're done. That's what this class is going to be. Okay? Now, before we jump into the first one, which is power, um, and that's what I'd like to cover tonight, and I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to wrap up a little early tonight so that we don't get the supposed blizzard that's supposedly coming. But... um, Anyway, before we get to that, I want to just say one thing about how this will work. Because I said a minute ago that you can expect great progress over the next five or six weeks in your struggle. If, anybody remember the if? If you're serious about doing the exercises, uh, let's talk about the exercise because that's a big if. It's a really, really big if. Nobody is going to get victory over anything by just learning the principles. Okay. You're not going to get victory by sitting in this class.
0: First Timothy. Okay, so we got we got to make sure I try to follow all of this. Okay, so I'm free. I I was this, but I'm not that. I'm volunteering for the sin, meaning I can seem to stop any time. But we come to find out we really can't just stop any time. We really can't, even though First Corinthians six says I was that. Really, I still can be that. So now I got to go through a process and the process is I got it. And the reason I'm in this problem is because I'm missing three things. Somehow salvation didn't give me three things. I got to now go get these three things. These things are subsequent to salvation. So I can get saved, but now I got to go get these three things. Now, if I, but I have to have all three things. Now, even getting these three things are not sufficient. Be, well, I mean, I guess I have to have these three, these three things, but plus getting these three things, I need a mentor. Not only do do that, I need exercises. And I've got to do the exercises because if I just learn the principles, it's not enough. So I got to learn the principles. I got to get those three things I'm missing. I need a mentor. I need counseling. I need. Uh, uh, I. I. I don't know about depravity, so I can, but I can't. Oh man, I am. I'm telling you, we literally, literally need a map to figure this out.
1: Four seven says, train yourselves to be godly. Train now. Training. Of- the, what do you think of when you think of a personal trainer or train? That word is used in athletic settings, um, working out. It's its what you do uh, in between events to get strong. So so if you want.
0: Now, again, the, this is another example where the Bible seems to be saying we have to work. We have to work at it. Well, why am I, why am I working at it if I've been completely set free from it? I'm no longer in bondage to it. And supposedly, uh, I was that, but I'm no longer that. But now I have to exercise and work and fight. I, well, I don't under, Either I'm free or I'm not free. Working and fighting and and, and mortifying and putting off and putting on still, still seems to say I'm not completely free, and it seems to indicate that I never will be free until glorification, and it seems to indicate that I still have the flesh and I still have a sinful nature, which he is completely, conveniently ignoring in all of this so far.
1: Bigger muscles. You could go to every bodybuilding seminar there is um, and you could read all the books on bodybuilding and you could get a PhD in physiology. You could become the world's foremost expert on bodybuilding. If you don't actually lift some weights, it's not going to happen. Your muscles will be just as small as ever. Gabe, what would happen if you read every book in the world on, on martial arts? <laughs> would you be able to fight? No, <laughs> no, not if you don't do the exercises, not if you don't actually train. And, 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 um, and, and you know that. You know you can read a book on losing weight and you don't lose any weight by the end of the book, right? You've got to do what it says. So spiritual growth is the same way. It's, it's not going to happen just through learning. Now, the lear- learning is crucial because you've got to know what to do, uh, but it's only so that you know what exercises will actually bring about the godliness. Every week I'm going to assign exercises. And those are what will do the work, okay? And I've found over the years of counseling, the people that get really serious about these exercises, they have amazing results. The people that uh, don't, um, they're apathetic about the exercises, they kind of do the easy ones, they're hit and miss, you know, some of them, like, they come back next week, what did you do, did you do the exercise? Well, I did some, I didn't really do that one. Uh, Those people generally don't make much progress. Uh, The people who don't do the exercise at all never make any progress. So I can't stress this strongly.
0: It's amazing how this is sounding like just like any other system that you would find in the world. There's nothing ultra spiritual about this in any way, shape or form. You're struggling with this addiction and you're and you're going to have to do all of this work to get there, even though he's already assured us that we're free and that there is power from God, and that we were that, and that we simply are volunteering for this, which would indicate that we can volunteer to stop, but it's real enslavement. It, it's been, there is so much contradiction and logical inconsistency in all of this that I am just utterly baffled that this, but this kind of doublespeak happens in Christianity all the time.
1: Enough. You must, must, must do the exercises each week. Okay? Um, now, now, this particular session tonight, uh, most of these, this class is going to be geared, geared specifically towards enslaving sins, like habits. Um, now, s- some people emailed me, they said, well, I've got, you know, I've got to struggle with anger, or I've got to struggle with um, this sin or that sin, and it's, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be the ones we typically put in the category of a habit or an addiction. Um, uh, but I didn't email them back and tell them not to come tonight, because tonight, is, is these principles will apply for any kind of struggle with sin. So, um,
0: uh, all right. So these principles are for just struggle with sin in general. All right. Okay. I, are we about to, is he about to drop Matthew 14 on us? Oh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. All right, here we go.
1: So, and, uh, just so you know, I do want to do some more of these classes on other specific things. So like maybe, uh, after in January or February, do another one of these classes on anger or uh, anxiety or or depression or something like that. So we'll hopefully do some more of these. But but uh, this one's on enslaving sins. So-
0: and an amazing there's different principles for different ones when supposedly we're operating from the assumption that we're already set free, that we already have the power, that we're just volunteering for this enslavement. And, and like, i like, I, 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 it's just so weird. Like we, we, on one hand, we hype up what we can do. And then in practice, we realize we can't do half the stuff we claim we can. It's just so odd.
1: Let's get started on the very first one, how to get power from God. Um, so you're already in Galatians five sixteen, 16, uh, or Galatians 5. Um, if you want to know how to get power, spiritual power, so that you can have victory in uh, in your battle against sin. And you want to know what the Bible says about that. I can, I can summarize what you need to do in one word. Walk. Walk. Look at Galatians
0: 5.16. Okay, so, ladies and gentlemen, the reason you're enslaved to sin is because you're missing three things. And the first thing you need is power. There is literal, supernatural, divine power available only to you as a Christian, not to anybody else. And if you will get it, you can stop sinning, I guess. I I don't know. He's not really told me how much power. But the way I get it is I have to walk. So there's the power So to get the power, now this is interesting, to get the power, I have to do something in my power, right? Because if I don't have the power, then I've got to do something in my power in order to get the power. So there's the power. Now I've got to do something. Is my power sufficient to get me to the God's power? Why wouldn't I need God's power in order to do anything? But in this particular scenario, there's the power. Now I've got to get it. And what I got to do is I have to walk. Walk.
1: Walk by the Spirit, and you will not, you will not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't. I mean, that's that's an amazing promise, right? Gratifying the desires of the flesh.
0: All right, now if you understand that and interpret that the way everyone interprets that, if I walk in the spirit, then I will never sin. That sinless perfection is possible. Now, so do I, how do I get the, so I got to walk in the spirit. So I, there, I got, maybe he'll explain exactly what I have to do to walk in the spirit.
1: That's talking about, is that talking about enslaving sin? I mean, is that what he has in mind here? Yes, it is. Because look at the next verse, verse 17. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. and The spirit is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, right? That's where we got our definition for enslaving sins. When you don't, you want to quit and you can't. You want to quit? It's not working. Uh, You you try to stop, and it doesn't. You end up deciding to to do the sin, and even after you've decided to stop, Um, why does that happen? Why do we decide I'm going to quit this? I'm going to change this, and then we go back to doing it? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is making you desire holiness, and that's why you decide to quit. And your flesh is making you desire the sin, and that's why you decide to go back. And the influence of the flesh is winning. Okay? It's winning. You say, well, how can I turn the table so that the influence of the Holy Spirit is winning and is greater than the influence of the flesh? The answer to that is right there in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Spirit will win. The Spirit's influence will be greater if you do this, if you walk by the
0: Spirit. So that's the, that's the solution. So all you have to do is walk in the Spirit and you'll stop sinning. That's all, that's all you have to do, ladies and gentlemen, and you will never commit another sin again.
1: That's how you get spiritual power from God. That's how you fight against sin. Problem is, that's a metaphor, right? So how do, what does the metaphor mean? Walk by the spirit. It's not literal walking, right? So, so what is, what does it mean? How do, how do you subject yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit in a greater way than you're already doing? Um. Well, the more of the influence of the Holy Spirit you have in your life, the more you're going to find the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Um, and part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? Fruit of the Spirit, look, look down at verse 22, Galatians 5:22. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, so if I want more self-control in my life, I need more influence from the Holy Spirit uh, producing that fruit. And so if you study the New Testament and find out how do we get influence from the Holy Spirit, what you're going to find is three main ways that the Holy Spirit exerts influence on his people. Um,
0: First, through prayer. Okay, so this is how it works. There's the Holy Spirit. He's got all of this power. Now, the way you get this power is you have to get more of his influence. The way you get more of his influence, ladies and gentlemen, guess what it's going to come down to? Once again, it's going to come down to what you do. Hey, you're struggling with this sin? Pray more. Read your Bible more. Go to church more. Pray more. Read your Bible more. Go to church more. You'll have more influence. Boom. You'll stop sinning. (laughs) Oh man, okay, here we go. So all Christians need to do is just read their Bible more, go to church more, pray more, and I and I and lo and behold, we should all be sinless. I I wish it was that simple. Let's see if if he's going to go with the the three that I think.
1: Prayer. That's that first blank in your outline. Um Now, on our study it, it, that we've been doing in the sermons on prayer, uh we've seen that The Holy Spirit helps us pray, right? Romans 8, 26, 27 teaches the Spirit works in our hearts and moves in our hearts to bring about willing that matches God's will, so that when God looks into our hearts, He sees His own will in our will. Um, So that happens when we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit steps in and helps. So, so, um, uh, twice in the New Testament, we're told, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. So so if you want to subject yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit, prayer is a big way that that needs to happen. Now, I'm not going to do a big study of prayer tonight because we've, we're doing that in the sermons uh, for the last two months. So uh, I don't think we need to do that. Uh, if you haven't been around for all those sermons, then, then you might want to look that up, James five thirteen through 18 on foodforyoursoul.net and, and, and listen to this, especially the first two. The first two on verse 13. Um, if, if you listen to Uh, part one and part two of, they're they're titled Personal Communion with God in James 5.13, parts one and two. And and that'll give you some fundamentals on on prayer. From there, um, to improve your prayer life, you can get together with a mentor.
0: and um, Once again, you need a mentor. There's all these steps. Supposedly, (laughs) we're free. We volunteered for it, but now it's like, it's like, it's, you've got to do this and this and this and that. But it's, you're coming back to the same thing Christians have been telling people. for: Pray more, read your Bible more, and you'll stop sinning. And people have been reading their Bibles and praying and sinning and sinning and sinning for 2,000 years.
1: Somebody who's spiritually mature and just see if they can help you figure out what's the next step for you in your personal prayer life. Uh, and 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 when I say next step, don't get discouraged about prayer. In fact, don't get discouraged about anything. <laughs> In the Christian life, we get so discouraged because we're not perfect on it. You know, uh, I, I preach these things, you know, from James or wherever, and I say, "This is the standard. This is what God wants." And people walk away, it's like, "Man, that is just. I can never get there by tomorrow." <laughs> and and they they get discouraged. And we need to understand God's concerned with um, not so much with perfection, but with direction, right?
0: Oh, okay. Now we're going to change the standard. This is the, this is the oldest trick in the book in Christianity, all right? Hey, uh, if, unless you're righteous, you don't get into heaven. Well, what he means there is it's not that you have to be perfectly righteous. But, I mean, the unrighteous will not get into heaven. But what God means there is that, well, it's just a righteous direction. I mean, so, but no, no, no. The unrighteous will not get in. I have to be perfectly righteous. So now, no, no, God's not worried about righteousness. He's just worried about the direction of righteousness. Well, is he, doesn't he demand perfection? Be holy as I am holy. That seems that he demands holiness. So he demands it. That's law. And gray, And the gospel provides what is the only solution, which is imputed righteousness, not infused righteousness or practical righteousness. But okay.
1: He's, he's concerned about the direction. of your, Are you moving toward these things? And as long as you're moving toward these things, God is pleased with that, right? You have a baby. You don't expect him to be adult the next day. You just, you're glad if he can... Eventually, take a step, you know, and then you're all happy. Uh, even though he's wobbly and tips over, you're, you're all happy. And then, and then after a while, you, you're happy about the next thing. And that's the way God is when we grow. He, he, he just wants you, to see, wants you to make progress and grow. So, so, um, so you don't have to figure this all out overnight. Just, just figure out what's the next step for you. Right now, you're right here in your prayer life. Uh, you want to get up to here. What, what's here look like for you? What's the, what's the next step? What do you need to do? Don't don't come out, up with unrealistic things that, you know, vows that, you know, you're not going to be able to keep up with. Just just uh, find what the next step is. And for most people, the next step is usually to carve out some consistent, focused, uninterrupted.
0: He's sure very nonchalant about this because he's he's just basically said you're going to be enslaved to sin. Until you get the power, and the way we get the power is through prayer. And he's just like, just do what you can. What, what do you mean do what I can? I'm enslaved to sin. The only way I can stop sinning is get power. How do I get power is walk in the spirit. How do I walk in the spirit is prayer. So you should be like, ladies and gentlemen, the solution to your problem is you need to pray five hours a day. Like, like why, why is he so like, you know, just do the best you can. Don't get discouraged. What are you talking about? I'm living in sin. And the only way to stop sinning is to get power. The only way to get power is to walk in the spirit. The only way to walk in the spirit is to pray. (laughs) It would be like, there's no hope for you until you pray four hours a day.
1: Undistracted time alone with the Lord each day, right? That is For most people, most Christians have a have, they have the quick interactions with God all through the day. That's just so natural. And that's wonderful. That is wonderful. That's beautiful. That's good. Um, but very often we struggle to set aside time every day. when we...
0: So just your daily interaction with God is not enough. You've got to have specific, dedicated, alone time with God. So basically this is going to turn into you need a quiet time.
1: We're just completely focused on God and nothing else. Mm. If you never do that, then maybe the next step for you is just to shoot for twice a week, 10 minutes.
0: Just, just shoot for that. Well, twice a week for 10 minutes, get me out of my slavement to sin? Or is now is he not really worried about us overcoming this horrible addiction that's destroying our lives? And where is Matthew 14? We're going to have to stop here in a minute. Yeah. See if you can move from zero to that, that's progress. Right?
1: That'll be good for you. That'll help you. Maybe you're already doing that or more, and you, 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 next step for you is you know five times a week, twenty minutes, whatever. You know, um, maybe you're already consistent with time uh, and you do it every day and you do it for a long time every day, but you, you find that your prayers aren't very good quality. They're not very satisfying. You walk away, not really having communed with God, and 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 so you, next step for you is to. To deepen the quality of your communion with God, whatever, just find someone who's who's a good mentor who can who can help you, and and think through what is the next step for me. Just be real honest about where you're at right now, and then what's the next step. Um, if you don't have any idea, again, find a mentor. But although I think most of us already have an idea, don't we? We already know what would what would improve our prayer life, <clears throat> what would make it better.
0: This is bizarre. He he starts off that hey, we're here to help people who are absolutely enslaved to sin, destroying their lives, alcoholism, uh, you know, pornography, all the things. And, but and now it's just turned into well, you know, you know, you just need you need power. You get power by praying. Yeah, exactly. Some so so when I get up to twenty four hours a day and I'm still sinning, what's the next step? I don't I don't know. The next step is probably death. I, I don't I don't know. I it's so weird. Like it this went from like your horrible bondage to now it's just like, well, you know, pray, just pray a little bit, then pray a little bit more, then pray a little bit more and pray a little bit more. And you get magical power. Dun, 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 dun. if I pray, I get, why do I have to pray for so many hours a day or so many minutes a day to get the power? Wouldn't it be Lord, I'm addicted to sin because I sin continually. Give me the power to stop sinning. Well, 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 listen, Listen, I'm not gonna give you the power unless you meet the time requirements, right? The power, it's like it's it's like a, it's like a um what's a slot machine, right? So I've gotta I gotta keep pulling that lever, pulling that lever. And I and, and if I spend five hours pulling the lever, then ding, 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 ding. All the power comes out now. Dun dun da, I can stop sinning like it it makes literally this is absurd absurdity is what this is god has the power i get the power if i will pray but i got to i got to keep upping the prayer time till i get to the same to the level where i finally get the power so the power is just like this impersonal force and i can get some of it if i do the right praying for the right amount of time the right way then Boom, I pulled the lever down on the slot machine and ding, 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 jackpot. I get power. Now I can stop this particular sin, but I can't stop all sin. Man, I don't get it.
1: We just sat down for a half an hour and thought it through. We would be clear, pretty clear about what the next step is for us. Most people I think are there. The problem is getting it done, right? Actually doing it, sitting down with a pen and pen.
0: So what? So the problem is sitting down and getting it done. Now, I wonder, is it God giving me the power to get it done? Or am I using my power to dedicate and discipline myself to pray so that I can get the actual power? So now that I have the power to stop the specific sin, but I don't get the power to stop the specific t- sin until I use my power to discipline myself to get the power. So is it my power disciplining myself, or is it God's power already disciplining me so that I can get more power? And why is God giving me power simply to get the steps so that I can get more power so that I can stop the sin? Why wouldn't he just give me the power to stop the sin instantaneously? Because you've already told me that I'm free from it, and that all my enslavement to sin is a volunteer act, a voluntary voluntary act. I, I I am so just. This is all. Oh, this this. If we want to talk about just a class on logical fallacy, circular reasoning, just every. This is just a a train wreck of double speak, double talk, just con- contradiction after contradiction.
1: Paper and a calendar and making a plan. That's what we <clears throat> just never seem to get around to doing. Um. You know, important stuff in life gets a plan, doesn't it? If you're going to remodel your kitchen, you, you you probably don't do that on the fly. You're probably going to sit down at the beginning and you're going to sketch out a, a plan. Um, if you want to have your dream vacation, you're going to plan it out. If you want to uh, figure out a way to to get your your son to soccer practice and your
0: so the bottom line is you're free from sin. you got power. You can do all this stuff, but you need a plan to get it so that you can have the power. I don't even understand anymore. It's like clearly we're not as free and have as p- the power that he says. I, 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 It's Matthew 14 in this sermon. Remember, the only reason I chose this sermon is because I did Matthew 14 and saw under the description Matthew 14 as the text. We're not we're. 31 minutes, he's not even mentioned Matthew 14. We've only given Galatians, and I'm totally baffled and confused at exactly what we're even learning at this point. Well, let's see if we can finish this point, and then we'll stop it at the beginning of the next point. I wanted to see if we'd get to Matthew 14.
1: Daughter to dance and, and still make your chiropractor appointment on Thursdays, and you, you sit down, you make a plan, right? Um, whatever's important in your life gets a plan. If you want to move to the next level, make the next, take the next step in your prayer life, you're going to have to sit down, figure out what are my goals, what are the hindrances that are to those goals, what changes need to be made, and when is the ideal time of day, and what steps do I need to take to make this happen, and, and, and get it on paper. Um, I guarantee you, just sitting there thinking, oh man, I've got to get serious about my prayer life. Not going to work <laughs> it 's not going to do anything not going to do anything I uh, got to make a plan so if you if you want to break free from the bondage of enslaving sin, take the next step in deepening your prayer life so that you can have greater influence from the holy spirit okay that's under prayer next scripture
0: I told you I told you I could have predicted this a hundred I could have predicted this, but when the sermon started it's the same thing. Hey, I'm struggling with sin. I'm living in sin. Pray more, study your Bible more, and go to church more, and do more, and then you'll stop sinning. (laughs) I'm hitting the microphone and I'm throwing things, and I'm like, oh my goodness. What has this got to do with Matthew 14? I don't understand. And what do I got to do all of this stuff when you've already told me that I've been set free and you already told me that I'm simply volunteering to be enslaved to sin. But now the only way to get out of this voluntary, voluntary arrangement is now I've got to do these things, but I got to do, I got to do these things to get the power. But am I doing these in my own power to get the power? And then when I get the power... How much power do I have? Can I stop all sin? Can I stop some sin? I, I, I don't. I'm free, but I'm not free. I can, but I can't. I, I do this, but I got to do this to get this so that I can possibly accomplish this. It is just a uh, man. Oh, wow. And, and, it, and, and the, whole reason we, the whole reason we sin is because we lack power and we lack uh, finding our fulfillment in God and we don't fear God. Now, if we could just get the power and get the right fulfillment and fear God, then ladies and gentlemen, we can stop sinning perfectly. But of course, he's going to tell us we can't stop sinning perfectly. So I don't even know anymore. I don't even know anymore. I got to use my power to get the power. I, that's, that's just absurd. Because if God, if, if I've got to use my power to get the power, why wouldn't God just give me the power? It's like, I, why instead of using my power to try to get the power so that I can stop doing this, why would I use my power to stop doing it? Oh, my power is not sufficient to stop sinning, but my power is sufficient to do the spiritual things to get the right kind of power so that I can stop sinning, but that power is not sufficient so that I can really stop sinning. I can only stop certain sins, maybe. (laughs) I'm telling you, Sometimes I listen to the Christian world and I just sit there and going, do we hear ourselves? Do we hear ourselves? And and after all of this time, it's just the same old stuff that Christians always say. Stop sinning, pray more, read your Bible, and go to church more. Now, he may may not say go to church. He may say worship more or praise more. I'm assuming that's what's coming. I'm assuming. Maybe he's got a third thing that I'm not aware of. Um, but we'll we'll see. We'll stop right there because we're an hour and 19 minutes. That was maddening. Man, I just wanted Matthew, I wanted Matthew 14, but hey, fear isn't, well, fear is not, we're not going to actually get to this. He's just going to look at power. So maybe we'll get to Matthew 14 in the next episode, but we are at 39 or 32 minutes, 32 minutes. I'm just going to put 32 All right, I'm going to go 32, I'm going to write down 3250. See why I write in pencil? See why I write in pencil? See, I just, see how easy I just erase that? See, that's why I write in pencil, because see, I wrote down the wrong time. Because I thought I would back it all the way up to 32 minutes, but I don't want to back it up at all at the next review. We'll just start right with, and the second thing you need, or the second thing you need to get power, is you need to study your Bible more. Uh, wow, I, I don't know, man. there's so much we can do. T- I'm just going to stop. Email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. What a crazy ride that was. And again, the only reason we started this is I wanted a Matthew 14 sermon. Okay. Yeah. Bait and switch. I, someone, someone in the discord channel just said bait and switch. And I, I agree. I, I say that all the time. Here's the bait. Come on, come on, get it. Boom. Nope. And, and it's like, you're free, but you're not free. You have power, but you don't have power. You got to get the power. And it's just, you, you, you can have power to stop sinning, but you can't stop all sin. It's just, I don't even know. I, 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 I literally am just confused by it all sometimes. Wow we got a, a large number of people listening tonight, so that's good. All right, well, what you have heard is a Bible study exercise episode where we are working on Matthew 14 this week. We're reviewing a sermon because I did a search for Matthew 14. This was the very first sermon that popped up. It said Matthew 14 was the text. We are 32 minutes into the review, and we haven't even got to Matthew 14. This has much more to do with with our ongoing discussion about a proper distinction between law and gospel, which you should go listen to that series. Um, But we may have to move this to that series because, but uh, you say, well, why didn't you know? Because I don't like to review. The the reason I don't listen to what I review is because I don't want my reviews to come across like, oh, he just went found a bad sermon so that he can bash it. No, 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 no. This was a legitimate desire to find a sermon on Matthew 14 so that we could hear how people typically interpret that that passage of Jesus walking on the sea, which I think they they turn it too much into an allegory and they, and they turn it all to about us. So I just wanted to get, pick the first random one and say, what are they going to do with it? So my goal is not to find a bad one, if I can find, if I find a good sermon and we review it, wonderful. I just I don't want to listen because I don't want it to come across as rehearsed or planned out. It's supposed to be spontaneous. Like It's supposed to have this feeling. Hey, guys, I'm getting ready to listen to this sermon. Let's listen to it together and see what we discover. Sometimes what I believe is completely challenged, and I love that. Sometimes I disagree. Sometimes I agree. This one just took a very negative turn only because I'm just baffled by the crazy, like, you're free, but you're not free. All of the bait-and-switch, double-talk craziness. But the sad part is this kind of double-talk, bait-and-switch thing is so prominent in the evangelical world, and no one ever realizes it. And I'm just baffled that you're going to talk about enslavement to sin, struggle with sin, and you, never, you completely ignore depravity, that we are sinners by nature. That's where the problem originates. The problem is me and the and the solution to me is imputed righteousness not some hope of getting enough practical righteousness because my practical righteousness will never be enough to prove anything because the standard for God for salvation is perfect righteousness. No one who's unrighteous gets into the kingdom of God. And so I don't know how we turn it into that our practical righteousness can prove anything because our practical righteousness would prove that I deserve hell because God's standard is perfect righteousness. And the only perfect righteousness is an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness, an imputed righteousness. We are not saved by an infused righteousness, but an imputed. Righteousness, and if I believe I'm saved by an infused righteousness, I've, ro- I've walked right back to Roman Catholicism, which says we are infused with a righteousness. No, we are we have an imputed righteousness by faith alone. And that all fits with our proper understanding of law and gospel. So this this, this review has taken a weird turn. I really thought it was, <laughs> I, I just wanted Matthew 14. That's all I wanted. I wanted, that's all I wanted was Matthew 14. It, maybe, maybe in the next step, maybe in the next episode, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to get to Matthew 14, but I, I don't know. I don't know. We will see. And we will do that review tomorrow. I don't think I'll do another broadcast tonight, but if I do, it'll be a late night broadcast and we won't do a review. We'll do a devotional message. We'll do something else. Uh, if I decide to do a late night one, as always, please consider downloading the church one app, church O N E. Church O-N-E, that's Church O-N-E. Once you download it, do a search for Theology Central, choose us, make sure all your notifications are on, and then you'll get notified every time we're live on the air. And we are live on the air a lot, and we do close to 900 episodes per year. So um, that's a lot of content, (laughs) okay? People always say that they can't keep up with all of our content, and I don't know why. 900 episodes a year? Who can't keep up with that? Right. Okay. All right. So there you go. I don't know what else to say. I I always hate these sermon reviews because sometimes when I end, I I'm, I'm like that was not satisfying. But that wasn't on me. I mean, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with any of this. It's just mind boggling. But all right, there we go. Everyone have a great night. We'll talk again soon, and we'll I don't know if we can finish this sermon review in the next uh, episode we do for the Bible study exercise, but we'll try to finish it at least in the in. The next two episodes, and then we'll go back to Matthew 14 and do some work on it ourselves. We've already done a little bit of work, and uh, we had uh, one of the students ask a question about the fourth watch, which got us some interesting discussions. We've kind of deviated now. I was hoping this is going to get us right back into Matthew 14, but I haven't forgotten we will work on Matthew 14 by the conclusion of this week, so that next week, as we move on in our study of the subject of fear, uh, we, we will accomplish something. So, all right, there you go. Thanks for listening. God bless.